and welcome to the week 10 episode of the Megapod here on the lines. Matt Brown, Stephen Andrus, Adam Candy, trying to make you some money this week. Everything we do absolutely free, not only here on the channel, but of course over on the website as well. So please subscribe, rate, review, hit that little follow button down below. Go into the comment section. Let us know how you are going to be playing the games this week. What's your favorite bet? What is the game that you absolutely hate? Whatever it might be. Uh, we are here for all of it. We read those comments, so be sure and get in there and let us know what's going on. Thumbs up is appreciated as well. Help this video climb up the charts. Boys, let us go ahead here in week number 10. Kick things off with the Seattle Seahawks. I would say on the road, but everybody is on the road in this one. Over in Germany, Seattle Seahawks and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as we sit right now. There are expensive two and a halfs on the Bucks. There are um, there are expensive threes on the Seahawks. 44 and a half is your total in this game. I will admit when I am wrong. And here's the deal, though, guys. When I'm wrong, I'm the best at being wrong. And I was the wrongest about this Seattle Seahawks team. I've already lost a futures bet in week 10 for a team that I had a futures bet on, if that tells you anything. I had the alt under five wins for the Seattle Seahawks. As we know, they have already exceeded that number. So take my money, Circa. I, I hope you enjoy it. And, uh, you know, listen, I've I've come around <clears throat> for a couple different reasons. One, I didn't think that there was a zero chance that they could have some offensive success because you do still have DK Metcalf. You do still have Tyler Lockett. I thought that that wasn't the craziest thing in the world. I did not think this defense was going to be able to do anything all season long. There's a bunch of young players, a bunch of guys that were kind of like second tier guys. And I didn't think that this was going to be anything that was ever going to gel. And certainly for the first month of the season, boys, we saw that play out. But again, we can shorten this sample size and we can come in. And if you start in week 10, which by the way, at this point now is over, I mean, starting week five, which by the way is over halfway point, over half of the season, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We've got a big sample size there whenever we consider we've only played nine weeks. This Seattle defense is sixth overall in EPA per play. It is the number one defense in success rate allowed against. If we go a little bit further and we say, hey, well, how are they against the pass? They're the sixth overall team in dropback EPA allowed. I mean, this defense has come together over the last five weeks. And Adam, I am not only on the plus three that I got on the Seattle Seahawks. I took some money line as well. I started to look around and dig a little bit deeper into this, and I'm not going to hold on to the either prior that I had. And that is that the Seahawks, you know, this glass slipper is going to eventually go away. And I'm not going to hold on to this prior that, that Tom Brady's going to magically figure out how to turn this team around. This offense has been bad all season long. It's not like a small sample size with us for that. It's been bad all year long. And this defense that we thought we would at least be able to hang our hat on with this Bucks team has has allowed people to move up and down the field on them. So, um, you know, prove me wrong, I guess, Seahawks, and, and prove me that this spot over in Germany maybe is too big for you or something like that. But I'm a, I'm going to ride this team. I think it might be a wrong team favorite type situation. Oh, good morning. How are you? Uh, <laughs> you, had, you, you? You nailed the analysis on that one. Uh, I think you left me a breadcrumber too, so I'll try to take what I can out of that one. The Seattle Seahawks are the better team right now, and I understand why the market bakes in these priors to some degree because you don't want to be wildly swinging week to week. But as you mentioned, we're not. We're not at this point. And I think what we can look at with the Seattle defense is something that we're seeing with the Jets, 
is something that we saw a bit last year with the Broncos. And to a lesser degree, we even saw last night with the Carolina Panthers. When you hit on one corner, you can change the entire fortune of a defense. So Tariq Woolen has turned out to be that guy for the Seattle defense, much the way Sauce Gardner has turned out to be that guy for the New York Jets. And he's a rookie, of course. And so rookies in general are going to need a little time. There we go. The Seattle defense need a little time. Not saying it's all Tariq Woolen, but he's been a major impact when it comes to that defense. Now, on the other side of this thing, when we talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you have to listen to what they're telling you when you see a team struggling, right? Like, do you see a team like Chicago where they went into the bye week, realized the offense was nothing, and decided to make a change? Yes, they they did. You had to watch. You had to see. You had to say, we, we need to activate Justin Fields. And, you know, I lost a good amount of money because of it uh, <laughs> in that game against New England. But when you talk about what's going on with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you have Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles saying we're not running enough to establish the run, to establish play action. And there are many analytics to prove that that's not an effective means of doing things. So I'm with you. Um, I, I like Seattle as a teaser leg. I think you, if you want to be safe, uh, frankly, if you want to play Seattle out to minus three and a half and you want to make this uh, you know, an alt line and get a little bit of value out of that, I don't think that's wrong either because Tampa Bay – one last week because the Rams fell apart on the last drive. It's the only reason they are uh, a four-win team. Steven, we take a look here. Uh, you know, we've talked about Geno Smith and the success, and he just kind of keeps on rocking and rolling. Like last week, he throws that pick six, and I think this is where everybody started going, oh, here's where the real, G real Geno comes out. And instead, he just got his stuff together and went on about the rest of the game and had a good rest of the game yet again. And so – uh, I think we just have to realize right now that we're in the midst of a team that is going to be pretty good on offense and is getting better on defense. And we're probably looking at a playoff squad. We're probably looking at a team that might even contend to win a game in the playoffs with the way that they've got things going right now. I think Ken Walker is the guy that's going to take home the rookie of the year. I think if you're betting, if you're still getting plus money, on him in any market out there, you only have to lock up the money for half the season. Now, I think that's a good bet on Ken Walker as well. I think you and I are simpatico here a little bit. I think you are also on Seattle. I am. I, uh, it just depends on, on what price I can get. If I can get a plus three minus minus one twenty, I just take that straight up. If it's two and a half everywhere at where you shop, then I think a teaser leg here is great too. I think there's a, at least one or two other good teaser options here this week. Totally unrelated betting fact guys. Did you know that the flight from Seattle to Munich, Germany is only an hour longer than the flight from Tampa Bay to Munich, Germany, because Seattle's flight basically goes over the North Pole. Like geography is fun. Uh, I had no look idea. At that. Look How about that. that? I so yeah, no real travel disadvantage here for the Seahawks this week. But to your point with the offense and Geno Smith, the Seahawks are number eight in offensive EPA. The Bucks with Tom Brady are number twenty-one. And there have been some doubters that have said, well, Seattle's played a pretty easy schedule. Well, they've also won all of those games in their winning streak by double digits. They're, they're dominating people. And the difference in these offenses in terms of yards per play are even more stark than the EPA metrics. So you take that into account. You also note that Tampa's lost its best defensive player in Shaq Barrett. Antoine Winfield's banged up in this game. 
yeah, I think that the market again has been too slow to adjust to Seattle, but also on the flip side, I think still too slow to adjust Tampa Bay down in this yeah. situation. Yep. I think this is a double, I think it's a double whammy. I really do. Like, I think this is a, Hey, we don't believe in Seattle and we still believe in Tampa. And I think actually both of those things are wrong. I think it is no, you should believe, believe in Seattle and you should start downgrading Tampa even worse than you already have. So I agree with you a hundred percent on that. I think the only other thing that I would take from this game, if you're a prop player, it kind of feels like it's Rashad white time for this Tampa team. Leonard Fournette averaging 3.3 yards per carry on the season. He has a long of 17 yards, and that's out of 121 carries on the year. So this could be the game where they make a a concerted switch over to Rashad White. And so uh, any Rashad White props, if you're if you want to speculate there, I think that that could be something that could be profitable this week. Because again, as we know, you want to be ahead of these kind of shifts in philosophy from a prop standpoint, as opposed to playing catch up. And I think that I think this is the Rashad White week, uh, Stephen. Yeah, I agree. I think I'd be more comfortable with kind of touches on those props as opposed to yardage, considering that, I mean, Leonard Fournette's a very large man, and even he can't get any yards on, with this offensive line that he's running behind. So uh, I think rushing attempts or touches would be the prop I'd go with with Rashad White because the beat ro- the beat reporters in Tampa have indicated that that Rashad White should probably get some more touches here. Minnesota Vikings at the Buffalo Bills. As we sit currently, this is a three and a half point spread in favor of the Buffalo Bills at home and 43, 43 and a half on the total. We know the big news here is will he or won't he? We are wondering what is going on with Josh Allen. Boys, I happened to be over in Louisiana this past week. The odds pop very early on the rest of country books and I have a plus seven and a half in my account for the Minnesota Vikings this week. So I'm going to sit back and smile and enjoy everything. Maybe if this thing somehow plummets to two and a half, come in and play the middle and take the three and the seven and see if I can sit back and double up on this. But um, at the three and a half, no one cares about what I have, Stephen. At the three and a half, as we sit right now, let's just assume that this is Case Keenum this week. Let's assume that it is not Josh Allen. What do we feel about three and a half in this one? I have no feeling towards it. And that's because I feel like we're still kind of not done with the line movement here. We're recording Friday morning. I think if Josh Allen officially gets ruled out, this does touch two and a half. And if you want that, I think you better be watching the line like a hawk because with all of the money that came in early on Minnesota, like you bet it's seven and a half, seven, all the way down through where we're at now, those early betters on Minnesota, I think, may come in and try and create a huge middle for themselves here. So I'm not sure that two and a half is going to last very long, not necessarily because it's a good number on Buffalo, but just because of the the huge middle opportunity for the sharp betters that came in on Minnesota earlier in the week. So um, I am interested in Buffalo minus two and a half. I have not locked it in yet. I'm on the fence and it's because I continue to be skeptical about the Minnesota offense in the context of of that hypothetical number, if we get under the key number of three here, the Vikings are still 17th in yards per play on offense. Buffalo is eighth in yards per play allowed on defense. The Vikings are 15th in EPA. Buffalo is the number five EPA defense. So on paper, this looks like a pretty good matchup for the Bills against the Minnesota offense, who has feasted on one score wins in their six game winning streak. 
and has put up mediocre numbers like I just mentioned against a top five easiest strength of schedule of defenses. So on the flip side here, the, the Buffalo defense did something very interesting last week. They had six games this year where they played less than 30% of man coverage and they played 65% man coverage snaps last week when they held the Jets to 20 points. And Kirk Cousins has the number three completion percentage versus zone, but 16th versus man and the number 20 pass rating versus man. So I think Buffalo continues to come out and play more man coverage like they did last week, even though that's not something they've done for most of the season, because that's what you want to do against Kirk Cousins. Uh, so I think there's enough here for the Bills to still pull one out here with Case Keenum, but I, I wanted to wait to hear what you guys thought of this game before I made any type of bet. Adam, where do you stand on the on the on the Vikings? I mean, listen, it is are, are they are they huge wins? Are they blowout wins? They are not. But wins are wins are wins. They're getting banked. We know for sure they're going to win the division. That's already done. That's already said and done. Um, and you know, basically at this point, it's almost just between them and the Eagles when it comes to the number one overall seed in the NFC. So, do you are you of the camp of the Vikings are fraudulent and some at some point the you know, the fraud is going to come to the forefront or are you the, Hey, this is the same team that lost all these close games last year. And they have figured out a way to win all these close games this year. Uh, what I think about Minnesota is that you have to adjust the entire grading system this year in the NFC. And, and we use all of the metrics that we use to measure against other teams, against a neutral opponent, again, on a neutral field, right? Like you're, you're measuring against, a mean as a, or as opposed to measuring against what you see this year. Mm -hmm. And this year, Minnesota is good enough to win a lot of these games. I, look at Philadelphia. Philadelphia is not as good as being undefeated at this point. If you took this Philadelphia team and put them three, four years ago, this is probably more like a five and three team, but it doesn't matter mm -hmm. because this year they are good enough to be where they are. And this year, Minnesota is good enough to be, where it is compared to the field. Now, how do I feel about this game in particular? These are two of the seven fastest playing teams in situation neutral pace this year. I don't think that necessarily changes with Case Keenum at the helm for Buffalo. And I think giving this Minnesota offense more possessions is ultimately a good thing if you want to play an over. And it's all the way down to 43 and a half. But as we just said, Josh Allen hasn't been officially ruled out yet. 43 is key, 42 maybe even. And so do you want to try to get under that number? Absolutely. So I would be waiting to see where the bottom is or as close to where you think the bottom is on the total and playing over. Yeah, I, um, you know, listen, I'm certainly higher on the Vikings than most, but it is super concerning, though, that we do see them you know, score on a couple of drives and then they will have these giant lulls in these games. And, and, and again, like they're, you know, they are figuring out ways to win, but that's, you know, at some point it feels like that's unsustainable. And so this game's interesting for me. Uh, I took the seven and a half because I thought there was a better than coin flip chance. We wouldn't see Josh Allen this week. If it gets under the two and a half, I'll likely just middle and try and uh, try and get out of this one because I, I'm with you, Steven. I think it, if this thing's under a field goal, I think Buffalo still has the talent here on both offense and defense, even with Case Keenum to to probably. We haven't even talked about goal. the Minnesota defense either, which has been pretty poor statistically against an easy schedule as well. So that's that's the other side here. 
The Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears, as we sit right now, two and a half to three in favor of the Chicago Bears. Detroit Lions are sitting 48 and a half on the total here. Uh, Adam, this is an interesting game because our perception of one of these two teams has completely changed over the last month where we kind of know what Detroit is. Good enough when healthy on offense to move the ball a little bit. Probably going to get a couple of turnovers from Jared Goff somewhere along the way. Defense is really, really poor. We probably would have said something similar to about the Chicago Bears a month ago. And here, alas, they've, you know, maybe, maybe Iberflus is actually a good coach. Who knows? I'm not going to crown anybody just yet, but he did make some adjustments with this team. And with that, we've seen a much more spunky offense and, uh, and, and yet we still get a bad defense here. So that's why we're looking at a 48 and a half total in this game. Um, one, I think that total might be a little too low. I think that this game could play into the fifties for sure. Um, but I don't want to influence what you're what you're thinking here. What are you looking at from a from a side or a total perspective? No, I mean you're you're on it. I I don't want anything to do with the side uh, in this game. If you think you really know who either of these teams are, then sure. But I don't. I, I don't feel confident that I, I uh, that I know who Detroit is because. I didn't see Detroit being able to win any game with 15 points right. on the board. Uh, and and here they did last week. So uh, the Chicago offense has changed. And if you're going to evaluate the Chicago offense, you have to evaluate them over the last three to four weeks to understand what they are coming into this game. Now, that being said, uh, Miami did literally anything it wanted to in game last week against Chicago, which is why this game uh, – ended up up near 70 with the amount of points. So I'd be playing over uh, in it. I'd, I would prefer to get it under 49, and that's where we are right now. Yeah, Stephen, we look. I, I know the two and a half's tempting on the Bears. I can't talk anybody off of the two and a half with the Bears. I, I Look, there's there are four units that we basically evaluate the most, right? We don't really talk about special teams all that much. We talk about both teams' offenses and both teams' defenses. Well, we know for sure that both of these defenses are bad. We know that maybe the Chicago offense is on the upswing where the Detroit Lions offense is just, it is what it is. So, I mean, if there is one advantage, it would be that Chicago's offense is on the upswing where Lions are, let's call it neutral, maybe not even neutral, maybe even uh, go in the opposite direction. So, um, it's pretty interesting to me, this game. I'm actually going to watch this one. I, I'm, I'm pretty interested in how this is going to play out. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head where if you look at the season-long numbers, it would lead you to believe that there's value on Detroit to cover a field goal here. Um, two and a half is a different conversation. Three is obviously the most key number of all in the NFL. But you can't look at the Chicago offense from a whole season perspective. You have to look at the adjustments they've made uh, ever since that Washington Thursday night game. So over the last four weeks, Justin Fields is top 10 in EPA and success rate. He's near league average in completion percentage over expected, which is a vast improvement from yeah, where yeah, he yeah. was basically at the bottom last year as a rookie. And the last four weeks, Jared Goff is 22nd in EPA. The Lions offense overall is 27th in EPA, 27th in dropback EPA, 27th in rush EPA. So I have a lot more confidence in the Chicago Bears to be able to score points in this game than I do the Lions against an admittedly poor Chicago defense. And I thought the Lions were pretty darn lucky to win that game last week. They were outgained in yards per play against the Packers by more than a yard, which is massive in a single NFL game, only 4.5 yards per play. I would not bet 
the Bears at minus three. Asking the Bears to win by more than a field goal is asking a lot, but I'm not as concerned that they gave up a lot of yards and points to the Miami offense because with Tua on the field, Miami's the number one offense in terms of EPA in the entire NFL. It's a totally different story with the Detroit Lions this week. So I thought two and a half was a good number here for the Bears, and I bet it. Yeah, if we take a look, um, guys, just just to kind of drive this home, Justin Fields overall grade according to Pro Football Focus in weeks one, two, and three. 44.2, 40.8, and 56.3. If we look at the last three weeks where this offense has looked like it's had a pulse, 71.1, 72.6, and 79.4. So you can see it is just, it's, you know, when we try to say like it's night and day, it's it's a night and day difference between what we're seeing from the Chicago offense right now. And, uh, you know, look, does it make a difference? I guess we'll find out. He has Chase Claypool now, and he's actually been there for a couple of weeks. And so maybe working him into the offense is, is something that makes you want to like this Bears team a little bit better as well. Uh, kind of more of an overplay for me, but if you wanted to play Chicago at two and a half again, I would not make a compelling case to try and talk you off of it. Denver Broncos and the Tennessee Titans. It is three across the board in favor of Tennessee Titans. It is a 37 and a half all the way to a 38 and a half from a total perspective. Boys, what we get here is it looks like it's Ryan Tannehill. Full practice. Everybody says that he is going to give it a go. That's why this moved off of the two and a halfs, which were available on Thursday. And we're sitting at three now. Uh, still a ridiculously low total. It is the Broncos coming off of a bye, Steven. So there is something to be said for that. I mean, here's the thing. Do I have any confidence in this coaching staff to, you know, magically figure things out? You know, where's... They come out and look like a completely different team. I do not have that. However, they cannot be worse, right? They have to, they can, uh, there's only up to go for this Broncos team coming out of the bye here. And in a game in which we are getting a total of just 37 and a half, 38. And, and Tannehill, even if he goes, right, he's not 100%. He was talking about that earlier in the week about how the ankle is still not enough to where he feels super mobile and all that. We know the Broncos defense has shown up every single week and is really, really good. Um, I, it's a Broncos or pass for me, and I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's a it's a Broncos or pass for me. And if you wanted to put the Broncos in a teaser leg, which this guy did up to eight and a half in a game with a 38 total, I think that's a pretty strong play as well. First of all, major hat tip to Adam for hitting the nail on the head with the Titans covering a big number last week. I could not have been more wrong about that game with Malik Willis starting there. So kudos to you, sir. And I think I still might have a blind spot on the Titans because I've already bet Denver to cover the spread at plus three. And if you take out the two weeks with Malik Willis at quarterback, the Titans are still 23rd in EPA, 28th in success rate, outside the top 20 in rush EPA and success rate. The yards per play metrics suggest a similar ranking, and they're playing a Denver defense that is number one in yards per play allowed, number two in EPA and success rate. And a Tennessee offensive line has had pass protection issues. They are 27th in pass block win rate. So uh, the Broncos offense is not encouraging, but the Titans defense is still number 21 in yards per play allowed. Overall, I think if you look at their EPA and success rate metrics, they're being bolstered by an elite rushing defense, but they still have major issues on the back end facing the passing defense. So, man, I, I am really sick and tired of betting Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett, but you make the Titans a favorite in this game by three and with a, a total this low when they have the superior unit on the field, in my opinion, in this Denver defense, 
and I got to take the the Broncos to cover this three. Adam, we take a look and like I mean, I don't I don't know if the regression is going to come this year or ever. Uh, the Broncos offense. No matter what, if you think it's a bad game plan, if you think Russ is is on the severe downside of his career, if you think any of this stuff, which, you know, all again might be true. I don't think if we really are honest with ourselves that they're the, you know, a bottom five offense in all of the NFL. I mean, DVOA right now, they are 27th. According to Pro Football Folks, they're 31st. It would be the second worst offense in all of the NFL. I'm not saying something magically happened in this bye week, but like, if if you have any if you if 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 we're sitting here Nathaniel Hackett has any hope of being an NFL coach for the long term and not getting fired not being a one and done or something like that for this Denver team you have to think something gets figured out because i mean just the talent alone they can't be the second worst offense in all the NFL no, you would think they couldn't be the second worst <laughs> offense in the NFL, but I also didn't think Aaron Rodgers could be so affected by the loss of one receiver. I didn't think mm. Tom Brady's offense could fall apart with the loss of a couple of offensive linemen, but here we are. Uh, these are the things that have happened this year, and so uh, I'm going to pass on this game, even though my lean is to Tennessee. Uh, if this happens to somehow get back to mm. two and a half, which I don't know why it would, but if it gets back to two and a half, I love your teaser like because look that's as system of system play as could be possible if this is the way you like to play teasers right you're getting eight and a half in a game with a total of 37 and a half and frankly mm -hmm. at one point you could have gotten 36 and a half before ryan Tannehill uh was ruled likely to play in this game so ultimately i, I don't have a lot to add to that other than the fact that at some point, we have to believe the metrics with Tennessee a little bit. And I look at the fact that this team can do some things very well and look at the fact that rushing is not the albatross that it has been in past years and say that. That's yeah, what Tennessee's I wanted to ask you, Adam. That's why I feel like my blind spot is because we care so much about passing or whatnot. But if you watch the Titans with your eyes, it's clear that Derrick Henry taking souls into the fourth quarter and making it really hard to tackle him and then being so effective running the ball is the area where like people like me might have a blind spot with the Titans and not giving that enough value in terms of the physicality of the rushing game. Sure. And I think it's hard to factor in something like, you know, talking about physicality when it comes to figuring out you know, the handicap of these things. I can keep going with the, with the metrics that we use. Right. And, and the fact that, Tennessee is, as you mentioned, is elite stopping the run and is elite running the ball. Uh, is Denver the team to take advantage of whatever weakness Tennessee has in the back end? Patrick Mahomes threw the ball 68 times and had one touchdown in the game against Tennessee. So at some point, even though I don't really believe in the names on the back of the jerseys, I have to trust the numbers that I've seen. The Jacksonville Jaguars on the road at the Kansas City Chiefs. We are sitting right now nine, nine and a half in favor of the Chiefs at home. A total anywhere between 50 and a half and 51. What are we getting in the Jacksonville Jaguars? Is it anything like we saw last week or is it what we've seen for the majority of the season? One of the more confusing teams, one of the more disappointing teams for me on the year. That said, they could have tucked their tail between their legs last week. They chose not to and a lot of fight and a big win out of all of that. Adam, when we look at this game, the Chiefs, while still in everybody's top three in their power ratings, and I'm sure there's probably some people out there that even have them number one, 
did kind of look vulnerable last week. And, you know, everybody did. We've seen the Bills. We've seen them. Like, it's basically everybody but the Eagles that have looked, you know, incredibly vulnerable at, at some point throughout the course of the season. And so I guess my question in this is, is do you believe what we saw last week out of the Jags? And if so, wouldn't nine and a half be too many points? Or do you think that that was a mirage and the Kansas City Chiefs just easily take care of business here? I don't think anything's a mirage in terms of what we saw with Jacksonville because of the fact that we've seen Jacksonville consistently move the football at various times this year. Now, the question is going to be, how aggressive does the Kansas City defense get in pressuring Trevor Lawrence? Because you've seen for most of the season that if you can get some pressure to Trevor Lawrence, that you're probably going to have some success in throwing him off. They also ran the ball very well last week, did the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, Let's talk about Kansas City for a second because the Chiefs offense has not shown you outside of a couple of weeks that is truly going to blow people off the field. But of course, when it does, we're all reminded that they can. And so we saw it against San Francisco. We saw it early against Arizona. We know that that capability is in there. Am I willing to lay nine and a half to find out? No, I'm not. Do I trust Trevor Lawrence on the road enough to take the nine and a half? No, it's a pass for me. Steven, we've got, uh, I think we have a bet here from you in this one, and I think you are buying at least a little bit into what you saw last week. That being said, you have been higher on the Jags than most people have throughout the course of the season, despite the the struggles that we have seen on the field at times. It's burned me a couple times, but not last week, Matt. We got Mm -hmm. one. We got one against the Raiders. I, I just keep going back to this team, and I think, that this this team is better than their record. I think they've had some bad luck. And if you look at the matchup on paper here, I think they it's actually a really good matchup against this Kansas City Chiefs defense. They're number 11 on offense, and the Chiefs are number 23 in terms of DVOA. If you look at EPA, it's the number 10 Jags offense versus the number 21 Chiefs defense. And if you look at success rate, the number 6 Jacksonville offense against the number 22 Kansas City defense. You also are looking at an offensive line that is number seven in the league for Jacksonville in pressure allowed, despite the poor offensive line uh, win rate metrics, which is telling me that that Trevor Lawrence is doing a good job of getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And that should mitigate a Chiefs top 10 blitz rate defense here. So my my big concern here is the type of defense that Trevor Lawrence may face in this game, because if you look at his his metrics against zone defense and then against man defense, they are more stark than any quarterback in the NFL. He is number 29 in completion percentage and number 30 in passer rating against man defense. And he's number 11 in completion percentage and number nine in passer rating against zone defense. And the chiefs defense has steadily increased its rate of man defense every week since week five, they played the most it's played all season last week against the Titans. That being said, they still played zone on 54% of the snaps. So Trevor Lawrence should still have his opportunities. It's not like we're looking at a complete man defense here for the chiefs. So that is my concern that he's really bad against that, uh, that man defense, but mm-hmm. we're also talking about a number of nine and a half here. So uh, I did not bet it yet because I don't think there's any risk in waiting to try and get a 10 on this to see if it goes back to 10. If it goes back to nine, I didn't lose anything. So uh, just waiting to see the best of the number, but I will be betting on Jacksonville to cover the spread this week. 
Yeah, I, I I put it this way. I would it'd be a dog or pass for me in this one. I think that there is I think there is a path to Jacksonville being a little tricky for Kansas City in this thing. And of course, if Jacksonville's defense can finally put just four quarters together two games in a row. I mean, that's one of the problems we've seen with them, right? It's like the defense will play a good game and then they play a horrible game, play a good game, play a horrible game. And so we'll see if they can put two two good games back to back here. And if that were the case, I think they could give, I think they could be interesting there for Kansas City. So dog or pass situation for me, but like I said, not in the old account. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Cleveland Browns and the Miami Dolphins. This is in my account and we are sitting right now. Dolphins three and a half point favorites over the Browns. 49 and a half is your total boys. I played a 48. I played over 48 in this one. Um, Browns coming out of a bye, So they're going to be at least a little bit healthier on the offensive side of the ball, specifically on the offensive line part where they have been incredibly efficient running the ball all year. This Dolphins team is, you know, by the by most of the metrics, the best uh, top five team in, in all football and every, basically every single offensive metric that you can get, specifically passing. And this defense has been absolutely atrocious. And so has the Browns defense this year. And so when you're going to give me a number under 49, I guess it doesn't really matter right now. You can find a flat 49 out there in the rest of country market. And I would still play the over. I think this game has fifties written all over it. I think this is the type of game in which we see Miami move the ball pretty much at will. And, and Adam, you've talked about this before this Browns team that even though they run a ton, they're so efficient running that we shouldn't be scared of overs with a team like them because if you do something so efficiently you're still going to put points on the board you're still going to put points on the board fairly rapidly so I can understand why people might be a little skittish because it's the Browns but look that Dolphins defense is putrid the offense is really really good and I think they could put up 30 on their own in this one and if that's the case we only need 20 20 something out of the Browns I don't think you need to change your handicap a whole lot from last week Quite honestly, I, I think that Cleveland is a slightly better version of Chicago right now. Uh, the quarterback doesn't run. That's the big difference. But they still did run, did the Bears, for 250-plus yards on this Miami defense last week. And we know that Cleveland's capable of running for 250 on anybody with that offensive line and Nick Chubb. Um, we know that Justin Fields and Jacoby Brissett both are below average throwing the football in terms of their accuracy and their ability to get things done. And, of course... Look, I, 
I, I still, for some reason, there is something about Miami that that holds me back in general. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like Steven saying with a blind spot with Tennessee, and I need to just trust the fact that Tua is going to be able to hit these open throws consistently week after week. <laughs> that being said, I don't need to trust in Miami this week. I know that they're going to be able to put up points against the Cleveland defense that has been one of the biggest disappointments in all of the NFL. I know Denzel Ward is back in this week. There are still many more receivers mm-hmm. to have to cover than Denzel Ward can cover by himself. Yeah, Stephen, if we look at this, I think the the one thing we maybe s- people aren't getting enough giving enough credit out there. I mean, listen, has Tua played better? Absolutely. Is Tyreek Hill, you know, one of the favorites for offensive player of the year? Absolutely. But look, McDaniel has schemed up some really, really good games and he has been really efficient with his play calling and getting the maximum effort and maximum result out of the players that he has and their skill sets and things like that and you know we don't hear a lot of people talking about that but like a lot of these games I get I get done I look at the end I'm like man that was a masterfully called game and so obviously in this one if I'm going to if we're if we're also looking kind of over at the sidelines I certainly give the advantage to Dolphins. I think Stefanski's fake sharp like we kind of you know some of these guys we go and try to crown a little bit too soon and I think he's fake sharp when it comes down to it. So I kind of even give the coaching advantage to the Dolphins. That said, the hook on there, I don't want to play the three and a hook. If this was two and a half, maybe I'd be looking at the Dolphins. Even a flat three, maybe I would I would put something in there. But can't go there, but I think points are going to be scored. I mentioned it a couple games ago. When Tua is on the field, the Dolphins have the number one ranked EPA offense, even better than the Chiefs, even better than Josh Allen's Bills, who were on a historic pace before he injured his elbow here and laid an egg against the Jets last week. So there's something legitimately elite about this Miami offense so far this year. If you look at Tua, I mean, wow, like the MVP market got flipped on its head a little bit with the Allen injury. But the other storyline there is Tua went from 80 to one last week to 15 to one now to win MVP. And, you know, we can discuss whether or not he's the actual reason. But I think it would be disingenuous to at least not point out that the Dolphins were 0 and 3 when Tua wasn't on the field. And they have looked awesome with him on the field. And it's going to take efficiency metrics for him to win that award. But 9.2 yards per attempt leads the league and is 0.7 more than Jalen Hurts. If you look at his passer rating, he has a 115.9 passer rating. The next closest is Jalen Hurts at 107.8. So whoever you want to give the credit to, you at least have to say Tua definitely matters to this offense. But my hesitancy here is the defense, like you said, Matt, because they are really bad. So this is a team where if we're under a field goal and they're favored, then I'm interested if they're playing a good team and we're getting a decent amount of points here for them to cover as a dog, then I'm interested. But for them to cover by a lot of points, and when I say that, I mean more than a field goal, it's asking a lot with how bad the defense is, in my opinion. And Cleveland, I don't know if it's just because they played a division opponent and they know them very well when they played Cincinnati or that O-line is just really bad. But it seemed like that defense found something, at least, that we've been waiting for all year. So uh, Eli Hershkovich likes Cleveland in this game. You can go read why if you want there. I have not made a bet yet, but he he agrees with you that three and a half here or better on Cleveland uh, is a good number. I, uh, I, yeah, I just, I kind of feel like the, the, the total is the way to play this one. But again, that one's... Uh, that was probably go that that one at 49. I mean, the 48 was easy for me to put in, but the the 49 and a half, 40, 49, something like that. 
on a little bit, little bit less. Houston Texans and the New York Football Giants. I will go to Adam last on this one because it is his team. I want to give him the mm-hmm. the final take on this one. When this hit four, this I broke my fingers getting this into the account. Uh, hey, look, if you want to move this thing a point and a half because Brandon Cooks is back out there practicing and so is Nico Collins, by all means, go to town. Like I, I am glad that you decided that that was so important that the disgruntled receiver that didn't want to play last week because he didn't get traded and Nico Collins, the rookie, it, catching passes from Davis Mills was worth a point or a point and a half, depending on which book you look at. But when this thing got to four, Giants was in the account with the quickness. Look, we've talked ad nauseum about how poor this Texans run defense is. And this Giants team coming out of a bye with the way Saquon's playing, they are going to run all over the Texans all day long. And by the way, I've said this a thousand times on this podcast. I think Brian Dayball's sharp. I actually think he's a good coach. And so this is the first Brian Dayball out of a bye game. And I think it will probably see some, some, some good things come out of this Giants offense. And I think we'll probably see some good things come out of this Giants defense coming out of a bye. We know Kenny Galladay is going to be back out there for whatever that's worth. At least it's another body out on the field for Daniel Jones to throw to. So again, Stephen, I, I mean, I get it. If you want to tell me smoke and mirrors on this Giants team down the line, that's fine. They're playing the team that is 32nd in my power ratings, the dead last team that cannot defend the run, which is something the Giants do exceptionally well. I was actually across the bridge in Indiana taking our, our son to a playground with my wife, and then we went out to dinner. And uh, as we were getting ready to go, the number popped on Giants minus four. And I said, excuse me, honey, would you mind go <laughs> taking our son Ace to the playground here for a minute? And I sat my butt down on a bench, and I got my Giants bed in as quick <laughs> as possible too. So, yeah, I'm with you here. I thought the line went too far. Uh, this was seven at start, and adjusting three points was way too much for me in my my opinion uh i know the early sharp money was on the texans here but i echo what you said about brian dable he is a god and this is still a top 10 offense by epa with the giants i think they are not as good as their record i think their metrics and the other units on the field will will echo that but we're still talking about the houston texans here so i thought four was a good number here i think anything under six is a fair number here for the giants and this line movement has gone too far. Adam, your New York football giants are headed to the playoffs. Your New York football giants are headed to cashing my over on my alt win total. So for, for, for that, I made preseason as well. And now here they come out of a bye with the Houston Texans coming to town and we're seeing the line move against them. The disrespect, Adam. The line's moving the right way. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Here we go. Traitor. Here we go. All I'm right. Not betting the Texans. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Uh, that being said, seven at the beginning was far too many points. Six yeah. was far too many points. Five is becoming reasonable. Four might be an overcorrection, but I'm still not willing to bet the Giants at more than a field goal for this reason. In fact, there are two reasons that factor into this. They are 22nd in non-garbage time defensive EPA per play. They are 24th in both rush DVOA and pass DVOA. And Xavier McKinney decided to use his bye week to get into an ATV 
and we don't know if he was driving or not, but he rolled it over, broke his hand, and the Giants' starting safety is out. Why is that important? He is the defensive play caller for this New York Giants team. So, yes, they've had a bye week to adjust to that. I think the play, if I like anything here, is over uh, because I think both teams are going to be able to run the ball. We know the Giants are going to be able to run the ball. That much is clear. I mean, that part of your handicap makes all the sense in the world. That being said, I think Houston's going to be able to run the ball, too. Uh, against the Giants. Uh, this is not a team that has been highly effective in stopping the run. Yes, some of that you have to factor in. They didn't have Leonard Williams for a few weeks, yeah. and he makes a big difference to the middle of that defense. And so I, I'll give you that. Uh, but do I feel comfortable at more than a field goal with a Giants team that has been winning everything close? I don't feel great about it. Uh, but this total is so low that I have a very hard time uh, thinking that the Houston defense and the Giants defense are going to be keeping anyone below 40 and a half. Yeah, still still several 40 and a halfs available out there. There are some 41s that are starting to pop. So some people thinking along the same lines as you, but there are still some 40 and a halfs out there. So be sure and shop around on this one. I like the Giants a ton. Going to be not only is it already in the account, it's going to be a contest play for me, all of that. I, I, I understand. I do think the Texans will be able to move the ball on the ground as well, but they're so incredibly one-dimensional with Davis Mills at quarterback, and um, I just don't know if there's any sort of big play happening for this team outside of a couple of splash runs. New Orleans Saints and the Pittsburgh Steelers, the very first game I scratched off of the list this week of games that I care about playing. Uh, it is sitting right now a point and a half in favor of the Saints. 40, 40 and a half is your total as they head on the road to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Adam, don't know if you have thoughts on this one. I, some, you know, there is someone bolder than me might want to put the Steelers in a teaser leg up to seven and a half at home against the Saints team. There's at least that option or whatever. But again, the, the very first game I scratched off this week, I don't, I don't know, have any idea what's going on with either one of these teams. If you believe in the way that we generally play teasers, you have to play this teaser. Yeah. You you have to play Pittsburgh at plus seven and a half. As bad as things look for Pittsburgh, they're they're at home. They're getting more than touchdown, and this game in some places has a thirty nine and a half total. So <laughs> uh, you don't have to like it, but you have to at least look at it. Look, did I feel good about the second half of a teaser leg last week being the Los Angeles Rams? Right. No, but I had eight and a half in pocket in a game in which I knew nobody was going to score. I am not convinced that the Saints are going to be able to score on a Pittsburgh defense that is getting healthier. So I'll take the points with Pittsburgh in a teaser. I don't have to love it, but if you're going to play teasers of the Wong variety, you play this leg. Yeah, no, I mean, in, in years past, this would have been an autoplay for me. Like, it just it wouldn't even, there would be no handicap. It would just be like, hey, look, you're getting seven and a half and a 40 total with a team at home against a struggling offense all day, every day. Um, and look, there, here's the deal. There's it's one thing that maybe could push me over the edge here. And if, if TJ Watt is actually going to play and actually going to come back in this thing, he is one of the very few singular defensive players that to me would affect the point spread, right? I mean, he's a guy that's worth a, a sack a game. He's the guy that's worth, uh, you know, a 26% pressure rate. He's the guy that's worth maybe a strip sack or whatever or something like that. I mean, and you can't say that about most singular defensive players, but you can with him. And so if he is officially going to play, that could certainly sway my opinion on this one. Steven, what did you see in Saints and Steelers? 
Just real quick, a little bit of developing news here. Bills head coach Sean McDermott said he would not rule out Josh Allen for the Bills-Vikings game, so it's looking like this could go all the way down to a game-time decision when inactives come out 90 minutes before the game, so just an FYI on that. Uh, As for the Saints and the Steelers, I agree with Adam's uh, take that that the teaser makes a lot of sense. I think I just have teaser PTSD from this season with how poorly teasers have gone. And I think we just have a lot of volatility here with both of these quarterbacks. So it was, it was a pass for me. I just couldn't get to the point where I felt confident in either side here to, to not screw it up for me <laughs> to put it. Think about mildly. it this way though. I, I'll, I agree with you guys overall that it, it has not been the slam dunk year for teasers, but if you look tease up, has been a hell of a lot better than teased mm-hmm. down uh, this year. And so that's why I, I have not teased down in four weeks because mm-hmm. there's so little that I've trusted, although there might be a game this week. Yeah, there is one for me as well. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the the other thing, just from a prop standpoint, again, in this one, if we're trying to get ahead of moves, if you are kind of a little bit more bold, guys, I think they're moving to Jalen Warren. Like, I, like he's I like... Like he was eating into Najee Harris's carries all season as it was anyway. And then he got the majority of the stuff. And then now you start to hear they asked Mike Tomlin during the bye week, could Jalen Warren end up being running back one? And he's kind of like, I mean, if he keeps playing like this, I mean, like that isn't the type of stuff Mike Tomlin says. Like Mike Tomlin's kind of like, hey, Najee's our guy, like whatever, blah, blah. Like Tomlin was like, he keeps playing like this. He's going to be the the running back. I, I think they're moving to Warren. So again, when those props come out, I would s- take a look at that. And if there's anything that looks enticing on him, I would certainly give a, give that a play. And I, I will, if there's anything that I can get my hands on Indianapolis Colts, Las Vegas Raiders. This is now four and a half in favor of the Raiders. 40 and a half is your total. The Raiders cut Jonathan Abram, put Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro on IR. This team, what in the hell is going on with this team? Yet the state of the Indianapolis Colts is even worse as they go and hire a commentator to coach the team, hand the play calling duties to a 30-year-old that's never called plays before, and decide to stay with Sam Ellinger, the worst of the three quarterbacks that they have on the roster. So if y'all got if y'all can handicap this game, you're better than me because I this is like I will sit back and just watch the dumpster, not only the flames, I hope the dumpster explodes and all the things happen in this deal. I want absolutely nothing to do with this game. Uh, Steven, uh, do you have an opinion? Do you see this sharp money coming in on the Colts, man? (laughs) And Jeff Saturday down from six to four and a half. I mean, whoa. I think that's more just a comment on Josh McDaniels and what Adam's been talking about all year that – no way you can bet the Raiders to cover a big number here in any certain situation. They just blew their third 17-point lead of the season against Jacksonville last week. I've kind of nicknamed Jeff Saturday Ted Lasso this week. I don't know if you guys watched the show, but you know, just Mr. Positivity uh, coming out, being a leader of men, even though he's got a losing record as a high school coach. And one of the first lessons that Ted Lasso has told us is to be curious not judgmental. So I am rooting for the guy. I am reserving judgment on whether or not this could work and they salvage some things here, but it is clear from the beat reporting that the team and the veterans in the locker room were very upset when they benched Matt Ryan for the rest of the season for Sam Ellinger. They didn't like that move. And Ellinger has been about as poor as I expected he would be. He has submarine games. He has made it so that they're not covering spreads and 
you know, maybe Jeff Saturday pulls some rabbit out of his hat and they circle around him and they love the rah, rah, rah. But uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and bash the guy by any means when he hasn't even coached a game yet. But when you have a situation with a sixth round quarterback who has got no experience and the little bit of experience he has has been very poor behind an offensive line that has been terrible. And you have a coach off the street who has never coached in the NFL at any level. I'm taking a shot on Las Vegas minus oh, four and a half just on right. principle. Just on I principle, it. I have to at all least right. bet it. And if I'm wrong, I tip my cap to Jeff Saturday, but I'm not going to bash him for being Mr. Positivity. Adam, I had to look up what a Parker Frazier was, and Parks. Uh, and Parks. Uh, yeah, and and I, I've heard of people named Parker. I've never heard of anybody named yeah, Parks. And I had to figure out what that even was with all of this. I mean, look, Ursay can say he's not tanking all he wants to. Hey, it's okay, Jim. We agree. You should tank. You need a quarterback. Like you we just agree. Can't say like, it. He's just not yeah, allowed to I mean, say like, it. It's like we get it. Don't, don't come out so adamant that you're not tanking. Just kind of be like, hey, look, you know. Things happen in the NFL sometimes or whatever. But, Adam, uh, look, the Raiders lose two more pass catchers, uh, for, you know, throw Abram out on the street. They're a dumpster fire as well. Now there's people looking at this Derek Carr contract saying, oh, by the way, they can dump him next year and only lose $6 million in dead cap space. Like, they might be in the market for a quarterback. I mean, two, two, two franchises right now that are in complete flux. Yeah, we can talk all we want about the Colts tanking, mm. but – the move of putting Waller and Renfro on IR tells you exactly what the Raiders think about this season. They came into this season in win-now mode, handed out a bunch of contracts and ate a bunch of dead cat money that suggested they thought they could compete in the AFC West. Everybody who has a pulse looked and said, but the offensive line, but the cornerbacks, they are the worst pass DVOA team in the league. Um, that being said, I don't believe Sam Elliott is the one to take advantage of it. That also being said, uh, the play for me in this game has nothing to do with the side, has nothing to do with the total. If you have listened to the quotes from Devontae Adams over the last five days, you realize that Derek Carr is going to throw the ball to him roughly 434 times <laughs> in this game alone. He is going to run out on the field while the Colts are on offense, take the ball out of Sam Ellinger's hands, and tell Devontae Adams to just run a pattern down to the other end zone while the other 22 teams or 22 players are on the field. That's what's going to happen this week. Play over Devontae Adams anything and everything, especially receptions. Look, he got over his prop last week in the first half, and then they forgot about him. And then Josh McDaniels decided he was going to get cute and establish the run. Well, Devontae Adams called him out after the game. He called him out on Monday. He's called him out in the middle of the week and basically said, why are we going away from something that's working? He also said, if you're going to stop throwing the ball to me when I'm double teamed, I'm going to have like four catches all year. Mm -hmm. You've got to throw the ball to me. We know that he and Derek Carr are simpatico. They're going to throw the ball to Devontae Adams all day long. That's my play in this game. I don't want anything to do with trying to figure out which side because both teams are tanking. Yes, yes. Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. Right now, the Dallas Cowboys are four and a half point road favorites over the Green Bay Packers. A total of 43 across the board as we sit right now. Things couldn't, as if this bad situation couldn't get worse. Of course, we know with the Packers, Romeo Dobbs, high ankle sprain. Not that he was a huge contributor anyway, but one less person for Aaron Rodgers to throw the ball to. He's out for four to six weeks. With all of that, Dallas Cowboys have their eyes set now, not really even on 
just making the playoffs, but hey, let's get one of these top seeds and uh, let's go ahead and rock and roll with this thing. Adam, look, it, it's a Cowboys or pass for me. I don't see anything in this world that could lead you to want to back the Packers at all. I mean, even at home, I mean, it's how are they moving the ball? They, they, I understand last week, if you look at the box score, there were two red zone picks. They had 390 yards of offense against the Lions and all the different stuff like that. But at the end of the day, they still threw the picks. Uh, Aaron Rodgers still threw the picks. They still were unable to beat a Lions team that only put up 15 points. That's the other deal. People talk about, ah, oh, yeah, but it's the turnovers. They didn't have to score but 16 points in the game. So, like, there are teams that have two turnovers in a game that still score 16 points. I mean, and, and that wasn't the case. So, I don't know. There's, I don't know what you could do to feel good about backing the Packers right now. Nothing. And it's actually the other side of the ball that worries me most because – these one of these single biggest injuries that you could have sustained for them was actually on the other side of the ball with Rashawn Gary mm-hmm. and Rashawn Gary being out for the year when he was basically going at a sack a game is the biggest problem for Green Bay because we know this defense hasn't been good in the first place and now you just took the best player off that defense and really the one guy that you looked at as someone who could make life a little bit more difficult for Dak Prescott and company the only thing that worries me about laying the points with Dallas is Jerry effing Jones and his continued insistence to say, don't give the ball to Zeke. Got to give Zeke, feed him. Yeah, no, 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 don't, don't do that. You've seen what Tony Pollard can do. Uh, so it's Dallas or pass, as you said for me, it's probably pass ultimately. Could this game play within a field goal? Yeah, it, it could. It, it could easily end up something like 17-14. Uh, so, but at the same time, yeah, you're, you're not going to get me to play the under either just because of the fact that is it out of the realm of possibility for Dallas to put up 30 in this game? No, not at all. It's certainly not. Yeah. I mean, it's a doubt surpass for me, Steven. I, I look at it from a standpoint of green Bay, probably going to be run heavy in this thing. They have no one to throw to like at this point, Aaron Rodgers is almost indifferent out there. I, and if there is a a part of the Dallas defense that has been so incredibly great that is lesser than it would be the run defense. So we could, if we wanted to kind of like, you know, pick nits here with this team. Uh, But that's just about it. I I think you're uh, I think you like the Cowboys this week. I do. I think it's a total trenches mismatch in this game. And on top of that, I think the Packers have more injuries than just losing Rashawn Gary, which is by far the biggest. I agree with Adam, but they have three more defensive players in their starting 11 that are questionable. And two of the backups for those players are also questionable. So now we're getting really deep into the depth chart here to try and find some healthy guys. Uh, and that's going to be up against a Dallas front or Dallas offensive line that's number seven in run block win rate this is a top 10 rush success rate offense and Green Bay was already bottom three against the run this season you go to the other side Dallas's defense is the type of defense that can completely wreck games if you can't protect they are number one in pass rush win rate they're number one in overall pressure rate despite being 13th in blitz rate this is like the 49ers that we've talked about a lot where it's a cheat code if you can get pressure without blitzing. And now the Packers have three-fifths of their offensive line on the injury report, all with knee injuries. And we're not sure if they're going to play, and if they are, how effective they are they going to be against an elite front seven for Dallas. This feels a lot to me like when the, the, the 
Cowboys played the Rams, and the Rams just simply could not protect Matthew Stafford. And the Dallas defense just completely turned that game on its head and wrecked it. So, you know, Matt, we've talked a lot coming into the season about Dallas being a team that beats up bad teams and struggles against good teams. And there was some sharp money this week that came in on Green Bay, I think, saying this is too much of an adjustment on them. I disagree. Green Bay is a bad team, and Dallas is set up with their talent and depth on both sides, especially in the trenches, to potentially wreck this game. Wouldn't shock me in the least if this is even a blowout in Lambeau. Yeah, I, I, I think it is one of those deals where it's like, before I would play the Packers with the points, it's like I would just play them on the money line. It feels like it's either a complete Dallas no-show and the Packers just miraculously win or like you said, it's just one-way traffic. Like I, I don't see this thing playing really like all that close. By the way, way the other. Aaron Jones, the Packers' best weapon, completely devoid of receivers, by the way, he's got an ankle injury, he's banged up, and three of the Packers' receivers that weren't good to begin with are also banged up. So they got injuries up and down the depth chart here. You're listening to the Lines.com Podcast Network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sportsbooks all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams. As we sit right now, this is one, one and a half in favor of the Rams, a total of 40 and a half. Guys, I can't, I mean, like this is week after week after week. We have multiple games that are 40, 41, 42, something like that. What a difference from the last couple of years in the NFL. So we know Matthew Stafford didn't practice on Thursday. The beat reporters were saying, hey, look, Walford was, has been, it has been said multiple times that he is the backup and whatever during the practices and all it's, it's going to be Walford this week. He is, he has one start with the Rams. It was week 17 of 2020. He actually beat the Cardinals uh, in that start, 287 total yards, 231 passing, 56 rushing for him in that game. Uh, again, so here we go yet again, Adam. We've talked about these scenarios. So there's a point and a half here with the Rams in a game with 40.7. I mean, 40.5 is your total. You could take the Cardinals up to seven and a half in a game of the 40 and a half total and have that as a teaser leg. Um, just wanted to throw that out there because, again, in years past, this is something that would have been an autoplay. If Kyler Murray did not have a hamstring injury, then yes, it would be an autoplay. But Kyler Murray's hurt. And if Kyler Murray's mobility is limited against a team that still has Aaron Donald, I'm not interested in Arizona. Uh, you're, you're not going to get me to take an injured quarterback in that situation, right? So we have all sorts of variants being introduced into this game. We have no idea who's starting a quarterback. Uh, we watched Sean McVay very creatively lose a game that he had no business losing last week. And on the other side, you have Cliff Kingsbury, 
and a team that has this is not a number. We don't have EPA for this. We don't have DVOA for this. But by the eye test, they have quit on him. Mm-hmm. And this is not a franchise that appears to be a, a franchise that I am willing to trust with seven and a half points, but mostly because of the Kyler Murray injury. Yeah, and the, the basically the entire basically the entire offensive line is questionable too. Like I think like there's a questionable tag I think on all five starters or something like that for Arizona as well. So it's just a it's a very very tough game to to handicap uh Steven a lot of guessing a lot of you have to kind of speculate and stuff by the way if you are if you guys don't know if Kyler Murray would not be able to go it would be Colt McCoy so Colt McCoy is still sticking around Colt McCoy would be the backup there in Arizona I took the teaser leg and I think it's totally on the belief that Matthew Stafford is not going to play in this game. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. If you read our injury expert, Will Carroll's column this week, uh, he said that with Stafford going into the protocol starting on Wednesday, that should mean that he is unavailable this week just based on the timeline of how the concussion protocol is supposed to play out. You also had Matthew Stafford's wife taking to social media, being completely pissed off about the concussion protocol situation. <laughs> so to me, it seems more likely than not that Stafford's not going to be allowed to play in this game based on the timing of when he went into the protocol. That's just speculation on my part, but our injury expert also says it's more likely than not that Stafford's not going to play. So I have to monitor that. But it, with that being said, I, I do think getting – potentially some closing line value here. I think this line flips to the Cardinals as a small favorite if that happens. And right now to get them teased up to seven and a half is pretty good. We already see one book on the board that's got it down to one. I wouldn't tease the Cardinals anymore if you can't at least get seven and a half. That's first of all. But at this juncture, as we record, we can. And despite the absolutely justified concerns Adam has about the Cardinals, I felt that that was still a pretty good value there considering I don't think the starting quarterback's going to play for the Rams. Uh, not not for the first time, by the way, that Kelly Stafford has had thoughts on uh, medical situations. Interesting. Uh, she's, she's really uh, developing a medical expertise. Yeah, I know. This is this is quite... Yeah, I'm going mean, to leave that one alone because we only have an hour. Yeah, on this right, I, I, I'm not saying anymore. I'm yeah, just letting you know. Lots of that going on. Uh, and we, we should mention, I mean, like, look, if if this is Walford, which let's just, let's just, let's just be for real. I mean, like, this is... This is one of the worst, if not the worst, offensive lines in all the NFL as well. And so, yeah, and that's the thing, is, Matt, because he is going Cardinals, to face pressure, you know. And so, yeah. I, I, what do we think John Walford can do under pressure, basically? Right. right. And I if mean, it's Stafford, that's okay because he's really good against the blitz, but and mm-hmm. the Cardinals blitz a tons. But now, if it's Walford against the blitz, oh man. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird game. And guess what? One that I'm going to weirdly watch because I just want to see some weirdness happen. That's for sure. Uh, All right, so let's look at the Chargers and the 49ers, our Sunday night football game. Right now, the 49ers are seven-point home favorites over the Los Angeles Chargers, a total of 45, 45 and a half. If you were watching earlier in the show, if you were listening, we planted a little Easter egg. Me and Adam both planted a little Easter egg of, hey, but there might be one that we are enjoying teasing down this week. And I'm betting you it's this one because it's the same thing with me. Listen, getting the 49ers down to just having to win this game at home against this Chargers team that I don't think they have quit. I just think that they're deflated, right? I mean, like you look up, nobody can stay healthy. Nothing can get going on the field. Keenan Allen 
for whatever reason, this is like the worst hamstring injury that's ever happened to any human being on the face of the planet. And he can't get on the field. We know no Mike Williams out there for the Chargers. I mean, it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. And now you get the 49ers who come off of a bye, Debo Samuel back healthy, an extra week to run gadget plays for for Christian McCaffrey and for that defense to get a little bit healthier as well. Um, Adam, am I wrong in saying that this was, in fact, the one that you're okay teasing down? You're not wrong, buddy. <laughs> oh, not at all. There we you go. Found, you found the one game <laughs> in the last month that I'm willing to tease down. And it, like, I'm not going to waste a bunch of time with the handicap. Here's the handicap. San Francisco, when right, is the best rushing team in the NFL. Chargers can't stop anybody, like anybody at all on the ground, even after they went out and signed Sebastian Joseph Day and tried to remake the defense that was horrendous against the run last year. A defense that let Rex Burkhead last year run all over them. And now you're going to throw the 49ers with McCaffrey and a line that's had a chance to get a little healthier and Debo Samuel at them. No, no, the Chargers are not winning this game. Steven, this is you get you're getting the 49ers down to one. We've already talked about a couple of other kind of like, you know, again, in years past slam dunk teaser legs. Uh, I am okay with this being my anchor of the teasers this week. I mean, again, the Chargers could come out and maybe play their best game of the entire season and do something that would just completely shock me. I think they might could give their best effort of the whole season and still not win this game. So uh, I feel super, super comfortable in taking the the Niners down from seven to one. I don't disagree with you. I just want to make an observation here that the look ahead line on this game was four and a half. The Chargers win and it goes two and a half points against them, which to me feels like a lot, feels like a big adjustment. And I'm not sure it's, it's an accurate adjustment. Uh, So, just from a number standpoint, I think I'm of the opinion that this is not as valuable teasing down as some others that we see along the way. Uh, so I'd be curious what you guys think of that adjustment from the look ahead. I think I would, if this gets to seven and a half, I think I'd rather just play the Chargers to cover that number. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly agree the 49ers are going to win this game. If there was, if we were just ranking, uh, if we were ranking the teaser legs of the week, Adam, would this be your number one? Like th- for me, this would be my number one. It would. And yeah. to, it, to Steven's point of the look ahead, let's look at how the Chargers won that game last week against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, not in impressive fashion at sure. all, right? I mean, they, they don't cover. They end up pushing last week in Atlanta. And if you look at what Atlanta just did last night in <laughs> laying a gigantic egg in Carolina in a game they absolutely had to win, then I think you see that the win over Atlanta might not be as valuable as, you know, a win, air quotes, would suggest. So, yeah, that's why I think San Francisco is is the best teaser leg of the week. I, I agree with you. If you're going to talk value-wise, traditionally, looking at the numbers and saying, would I rather get plus eight and a half in a game with a 37 total? Of course. Absolutely. Uh, naturally. And, yeah, the total is 45. And, you did have Brandon Staley saying after the game in Atlanta that Justin Herbert was starting to feel better and they were opening up the playbook just a little bit more, right? But to whom, mm-hmm. right? Who Who is he going to throw the ball to? Even when the playbook was theoretically open, 
Joel Lombardi had this offense essentially with shackles on. So I, I think it goes back to me in the end to what Matt said. The Chargers could easily play their best game, and San Francisco is so good on both sides of the ball that it might not matter. Now, Guys, what, oh, oh, go ahead, Steve. One last point here, Matt. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to play out this week against okay. the Chargers because they're banged up at receiver. But the 49ers now again have a weak link in the secondary because they've not only lost Emmanuel Mosley, but Jason Verrett tore his Achilles in, in practice this week. And their number two corner now is is now really bad, the Amador Lenore. And we saw this last year with the 49ers with giving up points in the passing game. Uh, with a weak link in the secondary. So something to monitor against better competition rest of the way. All right, boys, want to end this uh, with just some thoughts here, some stuff I did this week. Uh, we'll talk. We have a full breakdown of Monday Night Football a little bit later. The Eagles are my massive 11-point favorites in that thing. I added a couple of futures bets. Uh, I added Ken Walker for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, short number, but I'm only tying up the money for half the season. It was plus 110. I added the Miami Dolphins at plus 450 to win the AFC East, and I added the Cleveland Browns to make the playoffs at plus 400. Um, some 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 reasoning behind all this. Listen, this Josh Allen thing is it's going to be now at this point a a management issue and how the team wants to go about it, right? I mean he he can't do anything about this, right? So it's either sit out for a month and try and let it heal on its own, or play through the pain either of which gives me a window for the Dolphins to, you know, get, sneak into that that spot there in the AFC East. Um, either Allen, you know, not playing up to par or having to sit for a month and then the Bills drop a couple of games and things like that. So that's the reasoning behind that. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, the AFC is a little bit, is way more wide open, I think, than most people even realize right now. If we look at the seven teams that would be making the playoffs, guys, the Jets are in there, right? The like, I mean, like, do we think the Jets are going to keep this up the rest of the year? I don't, right? And like, I there's a couple of other teams in that are currently sitting in the playoff picture that I think could easily fade. And look, love it, hate it, whatever. Deshaun Watson's coming back, and that's going to be a massive instant upgrade to the squad. Um, so I, I bet them at four to one to make the playoffs. Adam, uh, your thoughts on these three futures bets that I've made? Am I an idiot? No, the the narrative is going to be around the Seahawks the rest of the year. It's the reason that I bet Geno Smith for comeback player of the year last week at plus 260. So I, I like that in terms of Kenneth Walker. Um, I think your bet on the Browns is a reasonable fate of Cincinnati uh, because that would be the leak to me in who's going to challenge the Ravens uh, in the division. And I don't think it's going to be Cincinnati based on what we've seen out of them in the inconsistency that we've had out of the Bengals all season long. The Miami one, I'm going to call back with you to about a month or so ago when I texted you a screenshot of a bet that I placed in, I think, like May. And I was like, oh, I completely forgot I bet on this uh, on the Dolphins at plus 650 to win the AFC East. So I'm as invested as I want to be there, but I like your price given the Josh Allen injury. Yeah, Stephen, uh, if we look right now, I think we all believe the Bills, the Chiefs, the Ravens, and uh, the Titans are all going to make the playoffs in the AFC. As of right now, it's the Jets, the Dolphins, the Chargers, by the way, hold that seventh spot right now. Yeah. So the Cleveland Browns, with this schedule that they have coming up, we don't believe the Colts are going to make a run. I think we all think the Patriots are average at best. 
So I, I think we're looking at possibly definitely one spot that's going to open up. The Chargers probably not going to hold on. Probably the Jets don't hold on either. And so there might be two open spots in the AFC. So again, taking a four to one on a team that is getting back again, we don't have to like the guy as a person. We handicap football games and how the guys play on the field. He's a top six quarterback, top seven quarterback in all the NFL uh, is going to instantly upgrade that team. And oh, by the way, if you were wondering, what does their schedule look like uh, whenever he comes back? Houston, then he would be able to knock off two of the teams in front in Cincinnati and Baltimore, and then you close out New Orleans, Washington, Pittsburgh. So the Browns have it all right in front of them, really, you know, as we look at all this. So again, I took a, I took a flyer on them to make the playoffs. If you do the math on it, they have three wins right now. If they only win one of the next three without Watson at Miami, at Buffalo, home against Tampa Bay, then they would need to basically go five and one the rest of the way against that easy schedule to get the nine wins and have a chance. But if they win two of those games and if Josh Allen doesn't play, then that's really in the range of outcomes here now. Um, especially with the way Tampa Bay's look this season. Certainly the the path has, is wider now for Cleveland. The only other futures bet I added this week mentioned earlier this year, I have Tyree kill 16 to one for offensive player of the year. I also added Patrick Mahomes this week, 16 to one for offensive player of the year, because we know record breaking seasons are the first thing that voters gravitate towards in this market. Tyree kill has a chance at 2000 yards. Patrick Mahomes has a chance to break the single season passing yards record. And it is not out of the question that if even if Jalen Hurts fades and Josh Allen's hurt mm-hmm. and Mahomes wins MVP, record-breaking quarterback seasons have often led to the quarterback winning both the MVP and Offensive Player of the Year. So 16-1 to 1 on Mahomes for OPOY. Guys, everything we do, absolutely free. So go ahead, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, let us know in the comment section. Who do you who do you agree most with this week? Me or Adam or or Steven or do you think we're all idiots? That's okay. We can take we can take the criticism. What's your favorite bet of the week? What game do you hate the most? Is there any player props that people should keep an eye on? Uh, be sure and leave it in the comments section. If you head over to lines.com, upper right-hand corner, you can join the Discord. You can get in a running conversation each and every day on all of the sports. If you want to follow Adam, at Adam Candy, two E's, no Y. You want to follow Steven, at yeah. Steven Anders, one. And you want to follow me, what happened? I, I know I, I have to we can't get out of this show without me pointing out one thing. This is the most amazing Homer Simpson into the bushes and back out that I've ever seen by Steven Andrus to go in with a Phillies hat and come out with a 76ers hat. That is very well done, sir. That is a change of seasons that was very effective. <laughs> <laughs> and then ends it with the clown mask, which you probably there it deserves. Is. Anyway, there we go with all this guys. Good luck on all of your bets here in week number 10.